are listening to Reading Glasses, a show about book culture and literary life designed to help you read better. I'm author, filmmaker, and book devourer Mallory O'Mara. And I'm Bria Grant, filmmaker and e-reader. This episode, we're talking about adventure books and interviewing author Christopher Golden. But first, what are you reading, Bria? I just started this book called A Thousand Naked Strangers, A Paramedic's Wild Ride to the Edge and Back by Kevin Hazard. I've heard this is really good. Uh, yeah, it's great so far. It's, um, first of all, do you know EMTs make the same amount of money as a person who works at Starbucks? EMTs do not make a lot of money. It is a criminal, criminal thing. Yeah. Well, you also only go to school for eight months to be an EMT. And you are only trained, like you have, don't have to have any medical background. Eight months of schooling. That's it. So his whole thing is just about, like, what it's like to become an EMT. He's writing about it. And then the crazy things that he sees being an EMT because he's in Georgia. And at first he works for, like, a private company. And that's about as far as I am. And then I, he goes and works for, like, a for a hospital. Um, but, yeah, it's a really wild—it it seems like a wild situation. Um, and a lot of crazy medical things happen. And— all about EMT burnout. Most EMTs don't last more than a few years. Like, you burn out really fast yeah, because you imagine. don't get paid enough for what you do, basically. Yeah. Um, medics get paid more, which is a different thing. But, yeah, it's basically about—it's it's about him. I'm not that far into it, so I can't really describe it that well. But if you enjoy this kind of crazy story, these kind of crazy stories, this is, like, definitely, I think, a book people would like if you enjoy weird medical stories. Yeah, it's wild. Wow. This what is are you your reading? second like episode in a row you've been doing weird medical stuff. Yeah, well, I'm about to oh, sh- yeah. we're we're pre-recording these and I'm heading to do a medical movie, so I'm sort of like getting my uh ducks in a row, making sure I know everything. Getting I your can. guts in a row. Getting all these guts, like here's the liver, here's the yeah. <laughs> what are you reading, Molly? So I'm super excited. We got some very exciting book mail recently. I'm reading an advanced review copy of our friend Jill from the Professional Book Nerds podcast. Her memoir called Reading Behind Bars. And it's her memoir of her work as a prison librarian. I love that. It is so good already. Jill is an incredible author. This book is so fascinating. So if you are interested in books and reading and memoirs and um librarians in the prison system this book is is for you it is out in july you could pre-order it now and there'll be a link in the show notes so that's reading behind bars by jill grunenwald wow we're both reading memoirs yep that's so rare i think that's the first time that's ever happened yeah and mine's a thousand naked strangers by kevin hazard so we want to take a moment to share some listener feedback roslyn wrote in with some book shame to clear up My book shame is that I really enjoyed the Fifty Shades of Grey books. When I found out that the movie was going to be made, I got really excited. Then a friend of mine whose daughter does extra work told me they were filming in the city I live in. I got even more excited. I did everything (laughs) in my power to hunt down the company, hiring the extras, and I put myself on the list. I even took a day off of work to do extra work on this film. Seeing Christian Grey give the graduation speech was the highlight of my time on set. When the movie finally came out, I'm sad to say that in all the scenes I was in, I couldn't spot myself once, but I'm happy to say that I was there. Even through the weird looks my friends gave, when I told them about it. My husband was the only person who didn't look at me weird and totally supported me when I said I wanted to do this. He even Marry him. Just kidding, you're already dead. (laughs) (laughs) He even begrudgingly watched the movie when it came out and he said he could see me in it even though I knew he couldn't. No, good husband. This is not book shame. Like your books, you're okay. Like Read whatever you want to read. Um, Daisy wrote in with a book tip that says, My thoughts regarding what to do with books by authors who happen to be shitty people are a little complicated. If I still love the story but don't like the person, I keep the book and read it. It may not take a place of pride as the most vis- visible book on my shelf, but I don't like to, don't feel the need to burn it. If I throw any money at it, it's usually it's via a used book sale, which benefits an organization I respect, or our friends of the library sale. If, on the other hand, I hate the author and their work, I feel no guilt in turning it into kindling or an art journal. 
art journal like that. Yeah. I'm interested in that. For example, I acquired a Pat Robinson, Robertson book from my uh, beloved aunt when she passed away, and I just couldn't bring myself to throw it in the garbage. Instead, I use it for blackout poetry and art journaling. I turn the same, I turn the insane ramblings of a disturbed man into a beautiful thing, and it's so freeing to take a big black marker to it with no guilt. I Hell love yeah. that idea. I am into that. That's amazing. And then Adam wrote in about our episode on self-publishing. I really enjoyed your episode on self-publishing. I don't know if this counts, but I've started self-publishing this year as part of an ongoing New Year's resolution. Congratulations, Adam. I try and write a few short stories a month and then publish them both physically as zines and digitally as PDFs. The Lantern by the Entropic Press. I'm not particularly good at any one aspect of it, but I end up with a finished product that just feels good to hold in my hands. Congratulations, Adam. That's badass as hell. Yeah. So you can email us at readingglassespodcast at gmail.com if you want a list of all the books we talk about on the show delivered to your inbox every month. Sign up for our newsletter. There's a link in the show notes. And before we talk about adventure books, we're going to take a quick break. Hey, we're Ben and Adam, and we're here to tell you about our Star Trek podcast, The Greatest Generation. Why should I listen to a Star Trek podcast? You may be asking yourself. Well, ours is actually good and funny. We joke around, we uh, we have a lot of fun, we talk about film production techniques that are used in Star Trek. We love to break down the stories and the characters, and we just have a blast while we're doing it. It's kind of like sitting around with a couple of buds, having a beer, and talking about an episode of one of your favorite shows. So go to MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts, and subscribe to The Greatest Generation. Yeah, whatever you're using to listen to this, just have it find us and subscribe this week it's all about adventure books mountaintops high seas crumbling ruins dangerous jungles adventure books can take you on well an adventure but priya what's an adventure book an adventure book the way we're defining it and the way Lots of people define it. <laughs> it is a novel where the main storyline is some sort of thrilling undertaking, and usually it's one where there's a lot of risk of physical harm or death. Eaten by alligators, stabbed by pirates, crushed by an avalanche, that kind of thing. Yes, and there are a lot of... Cl- when people think of adventure books, a lot of people think of the classic ones. So what are some of the classic adventure books? You know, the, the you got your Tarzans, your Moby Dicks, Dicks. <laughs> your Call of the Wilds. These are getting hard to make plural. Uh, Journey <laughs> to the Center of the Earth. Um, adventure books have always been popular and became even more popular with the rise of mass literacy uh, in the 19th century because... Who doesn't want to read a story about a swashbuckling hero saving a lady from a bunch of pirates? This back, is this people back love in the it. 19th century. People really like that. They still love it. Um, pulp magazines in the 50s really loved an adventure story that they got really popular during that time because you can serialize them exactly, so well. exactly. And they're short, and people can you can pick it up and read it for a you know one part of an adventure story, and it's sort yeah. of like appealed to a large audience. Um, and they have a lot of crossovers with genres we know and love, like war novels, crime novels, or science fiction, obviously. So did you read these when you were a kid? You know, I did. The one that comes to mind is um, Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim. Do you know this book? I think rats can have adventures. Yeah. It totally well, counts. It's the one that comes to my mind the most because it involves like the, the it's a really dark book. Um, it's about a field mouse and a bunch of um, lab rat mice and they stop a field from being plowed. It was made into one of the most disturbing children's movies yeah, I've ever it's, seen. It's really intense. Um, and it's probably responsible for my vegetarianism. But that was one that I really... really? Yeah, I think so. That movie is really disturbing. 
um, the book, the movie, and then we also read the book. My mom reminded me recently. So yeah, I mean, I think that like ones that involved animals were far more ones that I was picking up and reading on my own. And then I feel like these are assigned in school a lot. Yeah, they definitely were. Yeah, what about you? So I yeah, I like the more human ones. Uh, Hatchet, My Side of the Mountain. Oh, I loved My Side of the Mountain. Yeah, those kinds of books. I think they really scratched my, like, I want to run away and go live in the woods itch. Uh, when I was a kid, like, yeah. I always had fantasy. Like, my favorite thing in the world when I was little was, like, pack a bunch of stuff in a backpack and snacks and stuff and go, like, sit out in the woods for a few hours, but just for those few hours, I was like, I live here now. Yeah, I did too. I am a tree child. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was. I think it was big in books and children's media, and so that was like a big, where I was like, and now this child lives in the woods, and isn't that wild? It's like the Jungle Book, or, yeah. you know, whatever. I love that stuff. So I think I kind of stopped reading them as, as an adult, because so many of the classic ones are like very duty. Like, you know, Treasure Island. They're all like Tarzan. They're all like the dude does the oh, stuff. Oh, duty. I thought you meant D-U-T-Y. I thought you were going to say D-O-D. No, no, no. no, no. <laughs> it's no. not what I was going to say. No, do, like they're very, uh, they're very um, like, all, all, most of the protagonists are, are men. Yes, you're right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that's actually why I'm really excited to read our guest, uh, our friend Christopher Golden's book, because the, the archaeologist is a woman in the Pandora Room. And it's a genre I definitely like to see some uh, gender swapping in. I want to see, like, the Lady Jules Fern. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but Bria, do you read them now? Yeah, but mostly, like, the science fiction ones. So I think there's, I mean, in science fiction, this is obviously a huge thing, right? Um, I will sometimes pick up a harrowing story of a real person, you know, occasionally. It's pretty rare, but I will. Um, But mostly it's about the science fiction person surviving a planet alone, or it's an apocalypse. Every apocalyptic book is really an adventure book, if you think about it. I'm just trying to shove shoehorn my favorite genres into things. But it's (laughs) like like you're trying to survive an apocalypse, so it's an adventure. Yeah, no, that's true. I recently read this book, The End of the World Running Club, and it's just exactly like what it sounds, and it's basically adventure upon adventure down an apocalyptic empty road which you know i think is one of my wheelhouses can we can i say that you do like a road i love an empty road you're i love an empty road where people are like it's a former highway or it's a highway but no one's on it or someone's just on a path i love i do love a good road a road trip sort of movie you do um like i don't know like a movie called best friends forever yeah i made a movie like that (laughs) so maybe that's part of it obviously i have some sort of love of that but um yeah i think that um I like the science fiction elements better. And I mean, in every science fiction book or in a lot of science fiction books, you're going to have like the threat of death in some big way from like a monster or an alien or something. So a lot of times that would be like the kind of adventure books I'm reading. What about you? Uh, I do like them. I have to gear up for them. Adventure books make me very hungry. Go on. I'm, <laughs> I'm like, I think I'm like a natural hoarder. Like I really, really am. And I read adventure books and like nothing stresses me out more than being without my supplies. Like my least favorite moment in any book and any adventure book is when they, they pack all their stuff and they got their backpacks and then they all washes away in the river and oh, they don't yeah, have sure, their sure, stuff sure. anymore. So whenever I go to read an adventure book, I pack a lot of snacks and I bring them over so I can be like, ooh, I don't, wouldn't want to go hungry. Oh, so you're, you're <laughs> eating while they're starving. Yeah. <laughs> this stresses me out. <laughs> um, so I will read fiction, but I, not as often 
Um, this is definitely not a genre I read a lot of, but I, when I like it, I really like it. Uh, it's really actually rare for me to read a nonfiction adventure book because they're just so stressed. I get so stressed out by things. Um, I only read them if there is some kind of weird element, like books on the Dyatlov Pass incident. Do you know what that is? Uh, this is a real thing that happened in Russia like 100 years ago. There were these group of college kids and they were going mountain climbing in this mountainous area and they went through this place called the Dyatlov Pass and no one could find them for weeks and weeks and they finally found them buried in the snow and they had all died in really weird ways and no one could figure out how they were killed Ooh. this is like 100 percent real and so books on that i really really like and i definitely down for more like fictional female-centric adventure books i think the ones that i really like are comics oh, like yeah. i love um the wake by scott snyder mm. i love rat queens that that mm-hmm. that um fantasy very adult by the way it is extremely adult there's a lot of sex in it and violence and it's not for kids um rat queens is just like a bunch of lady adventurers it's like you know a D campaign it's like a bunch of lady adventurers punching things and yeah. stabbing them and i love that um uh, Sam Maggs has a lady pirate graphic novel coming out next year, which I'll be excited to read. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of really cool stuff like this in the comics world that I'm all about. Do you feel like if for an adventure book you have to choose to go on the adventure? Is it like a very like, do you think it has to be like a Joseph Campbell thing where you're like called on the journey, you deny the journey, and then you choose to go on the journey? Or the do you think it journey can be a thing? stresses me the fuck but out. Do you, but do you think it can be a thing that you choose? Do you have to choose to be an adventurer? I like choosing to be an adventurer. <laughs> You know, I really do. I Because, like, The Hobbit is, like, a horror story to me. <laughs> a bunch of people I don't know coming in my house and messing it up. Like, panic attack. Full stop. There's and then book- having to go on a, a journey that someone was forcing me to do and I'm not prepared. No way. Right. Okay. The book that it comes to mind is a book you recommended to me, which is Swamplandia. Yeah, I love Swamplandia. But she, I like Swamplandia because she's really, I mean, that book is very tragic and sad. But she is really... I like a, a protagonist that is choosing to go on an adventure that has a lot of sure. agency about it. Sure, 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 sure. But also that involves alligators, which is why I'm thinking I'm all about it. alligators. Yeah. You know how I have a weird love of Florida <laughs> and, like, and swamp things. I love a swamp book. Please send me all your swamp book recommendations. I'm always here for that. But yeah, I really, I think that's, if listeners have suggestions, I'm super down for more adventure books that are with a female protagonist and she's choosing to go on an adventure. There's a comic book that's amazing called Manifest Destiny, and it is like the Lewis and Clark expedition, except they're going into America and it's full of monsters <laughs> that they have to fight and survive, oh, which like is that. really, really fun. So I like stuff like that, but I'm definitely, if listeners have more recommendations for me, I will absolutely take them. So you can send your thoughts on adventure books to readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. And before we talk to Christopher Golden, we're going to take a quick break. Genre film fans, hear me. I know you're out there. Do not be ashamed of your love for gore, action, sci-fi, or fantasy. It's time to come out of the shadows. Because on Switchblade Sisters, we celebrate our love for genre films. I'm film critic April Wolf. Each week I have a conversation with a different female filmmaker about their fave genre film, and we cover film craft, getting projects off the ground, working with actors, and our general love for genre movies. I've had so many great guests, like Heather Graham. In the past, it's like so many films are made by men that the female point of view is not always respected, which is why all these stories haven't come out till now. Jennifer's body director, Karin Kusama. I think there's a lot more fantasy and a lot more expectation projected onto a woman director 
comedian and actor Kate Berlant. I mean, it sounds so cheesy to talk about it in yourself, like, you just keep going, you're, you know, I'm just a vessel, like, I, I just do it, you know, I don't think, but, like, that is what it is. And many others. So check out Switchblade Sisters every Thursday on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. So here we are with author Christopher Golden. Chris, thank you so much for joining us. I'm ecstatic to be here. Thanks for having me on. What are you reading right now? What am I reading right now? I am. I'm so glad you asked me that question, actually. Um, I'm finishing right now a novel by James Lee Burke, who I think is one of the great novelists in uh, America. Um, it's the novel that's actually called Robichaux, which is the latest book in his Robichaux series. Um, so, so amazing. Um, and I'm about to start a novel that no one else in the universe has read, um, which is a novel by, uh, our friend Rio Ewers. Um, I'm so jealous. Yeah. Right. It's called Lola on fire. Um, and I'm I'm so excited because I really think that Rio is one of the best. Like he literally is one of the most talented writers I know. He his work is so amazing, and uh, and I just want everyone else to discover him. You know, um, so oh, I'm completely with you on that. I think Rio is just a star. Yeah, he's great. He's great. So that's what I'm reading right now, and comics, of course. So can you tell us a little bit about your new book, The Pandora Room? So the Pandora Room is, uh, is the, I mean, it's weird because I, I, I could say it's the second novel in a series, but it isn't really a series. So it's a new novel uh, featuring characters from my novel Ararat, um, particularly this character, Ben Walker. Um, and the Pandora Room is set in um, northern Iraq. And a, uh, an archaeologist named Dr. Sophie Durand has uh, been working on um, a project, um, you know, sort of uh, unearthing one of these underground cities that you normally only find in Turkey, but they have found one here. And these are real, you know, real things in, in Turkey anyway. Um, but just as they're sort of wrapping up, they find uh, a hidden room. And in that hidden room is a sort of hidden chamber inside of which they find a jar. Um, and the, the writings on the walls and the writings on the jar uh, get them to the point where they start thinking maybe this thing is the, uh, the source of the legend or the myth of Pandora's box. Hmm. Um, and, then, and then shit goes horribly wrong and there, <laughs> there's, you know, ghosts and all kinds of weird shit. So obviously, so obviously, the legend of Pandora's box was an influence on this. Were there any other legends that helped that influence the story? You know, I I always think about it as a stew, right? I pull this stuff from so many different places. So, uh, the 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 historical story, not a legend of Alexander the Great, um, comes into play. Those underground cities in Cappadocia and Turkey come into play, but legendary stuff. Um, actually, I don't want to give anything away, but we do get into to Atlantis uh, stuff, but it's not about Atlantis. I want to make that clear. It's not an Atlantis story at all. But when I'm doing research, I take my inspiration and bits and pieces of things and just put it in the stew. And it's always a delicious stew, I will say, <laughs> as a big as a big reader of Chris Golden. So did any 
fictional, like, high adventure books or movies inspire the Pandora Room? I know there's a horror element to this, but there's also, like, an adventure element. You know, and this is the thing, like, uh, I am... I'm such a fan of like my childhood is rooted so much in these kinds of adventure stories, often in the ones that cross over both from the pulp end, like the Doc Savage novels to the classic end. Like, um, I mean, Jack London's The Sea Wolves uh, is a huge influence on me and stories by Jules Verne and weirdly um, modern stuff like the nonfiction Alive by Piers Paul Reed. Uh, the Pandorum doesn't have any cannibalism but that's in there too um alistair mclean like so much of this stuff that i read when i was a kid is still part of my my creative dna that's amazing this episode's all about adventure books so those are perfect to oh, bring cool. up well you know i want to mention two other things that that really come into it though for me is also nonfiction wild by cheryl strayed um is always when i'm writing adventure always in my brain and recently I, I blurbed uh, Almakatsu's The Hunger, which is a great um, modern novel about uh, sort of horror adventure mix, which I love. So oh, I loved that book. So good. So tell us a little bit about your reading life. Do you have any book quirks you want to share with us? Um, well, uh, that's a good question. I always use a bookmark and almost always from years ago, I did a, uh, a series of books with Amber Benson called Ghosts of Albion. Mm-hmm. And um, we had bookmarks done at the time and I ended up with stacks of those things. So I'm almost always using one of those bookmarks. So that's one of them. Um, and vacation books for me, like if I'm on vacation, it's almost always some kind of paperback thriller. Like I, I save the sort of, uh, you know, hardcover worthy. That's a horrible thing to say, but I save I save the books that I bought in hardcover for home, not just because they're heavier, but because I feel like there are certain kinds of books I want to read on vacation. Um, and then I guess the only other thing is that unlike my wife, who basically does nothing but audiobooks, I can't do it for whatever reason. Like I, that's a big quirk for me. Like I just, I guess my brain is just not wired in a way where I can pay attention to an audiobook. I understand that. Totally, totally relate. So what is your book wheelhouse? Are there any subjects or tropes that will always get you to pick up a book? Well, I mean, this is one of them, right? I mean, like, you know, um, you know, monsters, like underground monsters. One of my favorite nonfiction books is uh, it's nonfiction. It's not about monsters. Actually, it's a, it's a very sad thing. But um, another trope that gets me is um, people living underground. So Jennifer Toth's The Mole People you know, gets me. Um I don't know, like um, secret societies of magicians that gets me. Um, And uh, honestly, like it's not a trope, but any book that has Joe Lansdale's name on it will do it for me. Awesome. Um, Oh, and and also like, I also, I have to say, I'm like, I have this romantic element to me too. So like, I confess that I loved like the light between oceans. I love that. Oh, the, yeah. Right. Yeah. The light between oceans. And then, um, oh God. And I've lost the name of it now. Um, uh, everyone, uh, everyone brave is forgiven. Chris Cleave. Great book. Ooh. So I have this like world war two. So I read a lot of different things. Um, crime novels, you know, so a wide, wide variety. Yeah. And, and Chris, you also do a podcast. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? I do two podcasts. Actually. One of them is called, uh, three guys with beards. I do that with James A. Moore and Jonathan Mayberry. Um, and that was just sort of pop culture. We take questions from readers. We talk about writing. We talk about what we're watching and reading and all of that. 
Um, and the other one is Defenders Dialogue, which is the, the nerdiest podcast of all time that I do with my buddy Brian Keane. And basically, we started reading Marvel Comics, The Defenders, which started in the 1970s. Um, and our whole podcast is just rereading The Defenders and talking about um, the story and the characters and, and, and all that. And it's, it literally is like the, the, the greatest fanboy nonsense of all time. <laughs> that is awesome. So, Chris, where can we find you online? Uh, I have a website that's about to be updated with a beautiful brand new site uh, at ChristopherGolden.com. I'm on Twitter at Christoph because it's too long to have, have Christopher Golden. Uh, and I'm, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I'm all over the place. And where can people get your book? Uh, I, I would like them to get them at wherever they like to buy books. Order them from your brick and mortar bookstore if you can. But of course, wherever you can get books, they're, they're out there. Awesome. Chris, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you both. Now it's time to solve a bookish problem from one of our listeners. Fiona writes in, I haven't read library books for years. Partly that's because I don't read as much or quickly as I did when I was a little kid, but partly it's because I just find library books to be really disgusting. I wouldn't say I'm a germaphobe, but every time I read a library book, I find myself handling it so as to minimize contact between my skin and the book. The back of my mind is occupied with thoughts of about how many people have touched this book and what kind of gross <laughs> things might have been on their hands. <laughs> and I know that the plastic covers are there to keep the books from getting nasty, but for me, they just add to the impression of nastiness. I have this issue with used books as well, although not so much for some reason. I think I might like to read more library books, especially when I know I have a good chunk of free time during summer break, but I just can't imagine committing to handling something that feels so gross to me for so many hours. Do you have any advice for, about how I can overcome or minimize the feeling of grossness? I love Fiona's active imagination, which, where Fiona's really concerned about what other people are doing in their time. Oh, I am. Me and Fiona are basically sisters. I know. I feel like you should just answer this. Me and Fiona are pals. Fiona, yeah. you are a person after my own heart. I am a germaphobe, and I totally hear you. I'm like, you know, thinking about how many people have pooped while they held that book. You know, you don't even know what happened. Someone could have been holding that book while they murdered somebody. I doubt that In one. a bathroom. I'm going I'm to say... <laughs> <laughs> the old bathroom murderer. <laughs> so first up, I have a, a bunch of tips for you, Fiona. First up, time to head off all the grossness at the pass, and I want you to try Libby. Yeah, maybe you could. Uh, ebooks e e are perfect for you because you can keep your own e-reader clean. Yeah, or some audiobooks. Definitely try audiobooks. But I have a library hack for you. Are you ready for this, Fiona? This is about to change your life. I'm ready, and it, and with used books too. So you get your library book. You put it in a Ziploc bag. You put it in the freezer overnight. Uh -huh. Huh. Germs killed. Boom. You're all set. It works for jeans. You know that jean trick where you don't wash your jeans, you put it in the freezer? I don't do that because it freaks me out. But with books, you can do it. And it works for library books. It won't stop grime. And you can wipe the plastic jacket down with hand sanitizer, which is what I do. I do to my phone all the time. If I could bathe in hand sanitizer all the time, I would. But it'll make it germ-free. So no matter what the bathroom murderer did to that book, you're not going to get any germs. Mallory, I have something really sad to tell you. Oh, God, no. <laughs> I just listened to a podcast called Every Little Thing, and someone wrote in about ways to clean things. Things, and this does not get the germs off of things. It doesn't kill it. It gets, ger I mean, germs is a general term. It doesn't kill all the bacteria. But it, does it kill some? I'm not sure. I, I'm sure it kills some because some probably wouldn't be able to survive, you know? But well, it's something. It's something. But I'm just telling you, yeah. Because have you done this with like stinky shoes? Because I've done it with stinky shoes. Because someone told me, take those stinky shoes. It's because there's like bacteria yeah, living in with them. With the Tom's shoes. Mm -hmm. I think we had this Put them in the freezer and it doesn't really work. Oh. It works fine, but then they start sinking in like a day. 
Well, that's because you got your feet in them. I think it's because the bacteria never died. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna, we're going to have to do some more We're going to do some research on this. We'll get back to you, Fiona. <laughs> I have some suggestions. Okay, Bria, what should Fiona do? Obviously, e-reader is my number one suggestion yes. because you can, you can clean your own control e-reader. it. You can clean it. You can spray it. You can do whatever you need. My other suggestion is is that hand t- sanitizer because, it okay, if you get only hardback yes. books from the library, so they're going to have a plastic cover. Which, I, yeah. Wipe you can hand sanitize those. Yeah. So you can be, I mean, you know, obviously this is not an issue for me because I'm not this wor- worried about We're the o- We are the opposite end of the spectrum even, with this. I don't think germs I think exist. we should add that to the Mallory Bria thing. So I it's mean, like, I don't know. Bria loves spoilers and germs. I am the germs. only person who is like this. No, Alan's like that too. He doesn't believe germs exist. Alan and I get in constant arguments. I'm, I'm a, very concerned that Alan's going to die someday. Well, I was, the first week I was on book tour, Alan gave himself fucking food poisoning because he ate three week old shrimp. I won't do that. Like, I actually am really weird about food, and I throw out food probably too early. Food is food is the one I'm really weird about, and um, not even weird about. It. I'm just careful. I'm very careful about, and I keep my house very clean. I keep my house clean. I yeah. just, like, I just am not, like, so concerned about other people's germs, although you can hear that I'm still sick, and that was probably— I'm should... deeply concerned about other people's germs. Although, like, I don't—I haven't been sick in, like, three years. Like, this is the first time I've been sick but in, like, three years. neither have I. Yeah, I, this is. I think this is why I'm saying it doesn't truly matter. <laughs> <laughs> that it doesn't matter how you live your life; you just get sick. I do think there are certain things you should watch out for. Anyway, what I'm saying is you can you can hand sanitize the cover of the book, which yes. is going to be where most of the germs live anyway, right? It's not so much because it's that's where people are setting it down on their counters, on their toilets, wherever Oof. you can hand sanitize that shit. Horrifying. Um, the other suggestion I have is if you have a friend like Mallory who's concerned about germs all the time, maybe and bacteria. Borrow books from someone like that. Maybe me and Fiona should start our, our germ, the Germaphone book club. Yeah, well, just like someone who you go over to their house and you're like, this is a real tidy, neat house. They probably aren't reading on the toilet. Like, these people are— You never know, though. You, you do never know. I don't allow books in my bathroom, so you could always borrow a book from me. Yeah. I mean, except that, you know, I'm also still me, so— <laughs> <laughs> um, But I just think, hit up that friend who you also think is, like, kind of a germaphobe, who's a little scared of that kind of stuff, and be like— can we exchange books? I feel like this is a good way to save money and you can exchange books. You probably have, don't you have some other germaphobe friend, Mallory, that you like exchange books with? Nope. I don't know. The point is, Fiona, you're not wrong. I empathize with you. Germs are terrible. Terrible. Other people are gross. But libraries are amazing. And there are ways to read a library book. There are alternatives to a library book. Try out some of the things. Please get back to us and let us know if any of this stuff worked out for you. But I no- feel like our listeners are going to have some suggestions for Fiona. Oh, yeah. If they if anyone has uh, uh, book cleaning suggestions, yeah. please send them to us, especially if they're uh, non-harmful and can be used on library books. Uh, so if you want us to solve your reader problem, send it to readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. As always, we want to thank Danielle and Kathy who are on our Facebook group and Chrissy and Rachel who moderate our Goodreads page. Remember, if you want to support the show, look cool, and show off your love of reading, you can buy Reading Glasses shirts, bookmarks, tote bags, all in the Maximum Fun store. There's always a link in the show notes. And if you like the show, a great way to show your love and support us for free is rating and review us on iTunes. It's really great for us. It helps us reach more readers. You can email us at readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at readinggpodcast, on Instagram at readingglassespodcast, and you can always follow along on our bookish adventures using the general hashtag readingglassespodcast. Thanks for listening, and thanks for reading. The next time I saw the inside of a courtroom was the Anenin Inquiry. The lawyers I saw there had about as much in common with the man who had defended me at 15 as automated machine rifle fire has with farting. They were cold, professionally polished, 
and well on their way up a career ladder that would ensure that, despite the uniforms they wore, they would never have to come within a thousand kilometers of a genuine firefight. The only problem they had as they cruised sharkishly back and forth across the cool marble floor of the court was in drawing the fine differences between war, mass murder of people wearing a uniform not your own, justifiable loss, mass murder of your own troops, but with substantial gains, and criminal negligence, mass murder of your own troops without appreciable benefit. I sat in that courtroom for three weeks listening to them dress it like a variety of salads, and with every passing hour the distinctions which, at one point I'd been pretty clear on, grew increasingly vague. I suppose that proves how good they were. After that, straightforward criminality came as something of a relief. From Altered Carbon by Richard K. Morgan. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.